0: say a few things about Sam. I said, well, who's going to say anything about you?
1: So I guess I'm going to do it. We appreciate Brother and Sister Dupree so much. Just going to let him uh, have the service now. Amen. Well, God bless you for being here this morning. Thank God for the presence of the Lord this morning. Someone in the congregation said a few Sundays ago when Hill was singing that something changed. He, he, He hit a spot that he changed said, it was just like the Spirit of the Lord came over me, summoned me. That's what Elijah did when he walked past Elisha. He laid the mantle on him. The word mantle laying there means to summons Elisha. So he gave up what he had immediately and answered the summons. And Peggy and I'd like to thank you all for being here, for, I guess, a little over 40 years. We want to thank you for supporting us in your prayers, finances and all that. We want to thank you for it. And God bless you. Brother Sam is going to minister this morning. Brother Sam's been here seven years. The average, unless he's got some new statistics, a youth pastor or children pastor is eighteen months. Eighteen months. Amen. And Hannah has just kidded me several times down there. Some of them were guys said we can't figure out what's going on at church. So that they either don't know you or they like you. So the church is blessed to have Brother Sam for seven years. Seven years. You're blessed to have a man like Brother Sam. You'd have to work with him and be around him to really appreciate him and what he is. I'm not talking about just what he is in his pulpit. I'm talking about what he is when you're around him and what he demonstrates. And him and Emily has a heart for the children. Their heart is for the youth. That's what he feels right now. That's his calling, is a heart for the children. They interviewed Dodie Oldstein several times months, a year ago, and asked her, said, what's the difference when your husband John Oldstein, of course, he's passed away, and Joel Oldstein, and uh, she said, well, John was a word man, and Joel is an exhorter, I mean, you know, it takes all types of ministry in the church, you say, well, I don't like that one, well, you don't like him, because he's the one that gives the ministry. Brother Sam does a marvelous, outstanding job on word picturing. On word picturing, come on, give him a good hand It's something the church really don't recognize. Word picturing, Jesus used it all through the four gospels. When he talked to shepherds, he said a man had a hundred sheep, one went astray. He's painting a picture. Painting a picture. When God told Noah to build to ark, He gave him a picture of what it's to look like. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, "What the eye sees, the heart never forgets." But we could go on about word pitching. So He does a good job of painting word pitching, and we're thankful to have Brother Sam and Sister Emily here. Brother Sam. Uh, He told me one time it meant so much to me. He and I were talking. He learned and uh, we went to Christ for the nation for the ministry. They told him, said, always remember when people are complaining that Moses had three million and he survived. Always remember that, Brother Sam. I hadn't forgot that. I appreciate those words of advice. So God bless Brother Sam. Why don't you just give Brother Sam the youth pastor and children pastor we just appreciate him so much brother sam
2: Tag bunch of group like sitting up here. <laughs> it's been a word for the love and support of Pastor Billy and Sister Peggy. Thank you all. Oh, and I, I want to say this I, I try to mention this every time uh, I'm up here, but I'm, I'm always thankful for the opportunity that uh, Brother Billy and Sister Peggy uh, give me to, to be able to speak with you and let you know what God has put on my heart and what, and what we're uh, discussing back there with the youth and the children. Uh, it takes a lot of trust for a pastor to uh sit while someone else is standing in the pulpit and uh trust that that the person won't lead the the people astray or won't say something uh, embarrassing or <laughs> and so I know that takes a lot of trust and I thank you for that trust I thank you for believing in me and for supporting me and, and always being there for me so thank you brother Billy and sister Peggy it's a wonderful yes come on I always love uh, October, October's Pastor Appreciation Month, and I always love it because we have such wonderful pastors to appreciate, and uh, so it's a blessed month for them as well as for all of us. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We'll jump in there here in just a moment. I do want to remind you, before we get started this morning, uh, we've got our fall festival coming up on November the 2nd. Uh, if I, I've got that right, don't I? I'm looking for November the 2nd, yes, November the 2nd, uh, it starts at five o'clock, we do have a chili cook-off, and this is one of the things that I look m- most forward to, uh, or forward to the most every year around this time is this chili cook-off, because chili is a love language of mine, um, and I love all kinds of chilies, last year I was blessed with the opportunity to be able to be a judge, and so I got to try all of the different chilies, and I didn't try a, a bad batch, I mean, they were all wonderful, um, but if you're like, hey, I want to show the world and my church my culinary expertise, uh, then we've got some sign-up forms on these back tables right here in the sanctuary in that back corner, and then right as you're going out these double doors here, where you can sign up to, to bring a batch of chili. They are asking you, if you do want to be a part of the Chili Cook-Off, to please bring your chili up here on November the 2nd by 3 p.m. Uh, that way they can get everything prepared for the judges and uh, have time to judge it all, sample it all, and to determine the winner. And so if you could please have your children here at three o'clock, but the festivities all begin at five. It's going to be wonderful. We've got all kinds of things for the kiddos to do. We're going to have inflatable uh, bounce houses, uh, face painting. Uh, We're going to have hay rides once it gets a little dark. Uh, We're going to have a cakewalk. It's going to be so much fun. And if you'd like to bring a dessert, or uh, a dessert for the whole family here to enjoy, or a dessert for the cakewalk. There's some sign-ups back there for that, too. That way we can just kind of gauge uh, how many we're going to need and what all is going to be available. So thank you for doing that, and thank Ms. Rebecca and Mr. Brother Randy for putting all that together for us as they do a wonderful job every year to get the fall festival ready for us and so that we can all enjoy it and have a wonderful time together as a church family. Amen! Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can stand on your word, God, that it is a firm foundation, Lord. And I pray today that as we dive into your word, God, that it would be something that goes beyond just what we hear or just something to to think about in our minds, God. But I pray that your word would sink down deeply inside of our hearts. God, that your word would cause us to change. Your word would cause us to move and to take action in our lives and in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. Amen. We say this almost every week in youth church. Um, I, I believe that uh, uh, we, we say a lot, a quiet church is a, a dead church. Uh, we're not going to be a dead church here. So if you hear something you agree with, say amen. If you hear something you don't agree with, just throw a shoe or something. Uh, we'll get it all taken care of. Uh, but I want to hear you too, all right? So I'm not, I'm not just, this isn't just a broadcast, but this is a, a conversation here this morning. But today I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about fear, and I, I've so much enjoyed the worship this morning, and uh, I, I believe that the, uh, the songs that were picked were inspired by the Holy Spirit for this day, uh, because it goes right along with the word that I believe that God has put on my heart for this moment here today. And so uh, the, the title of the message is Silencing Fear, because I don't know if, you, if you've recognized, I don't know if you've noticed But fear is something that is in the unbeliever's heart as well as the believer's heart. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, whether it's been a month or 60 years, then you notice that fear is something that just kind of keeps showing its ugly face in your life from time to time. And so I thought it was appropriate for us today to talk about silencing fear. We're in the month of October, and the last day of this month is often celebrated uh, for... uh, entertaining uh, evil or entertaining fear um, and I don't believe that everything I don't believe dressing up is bad I, you can throw a shoe if you don't agree with that um, <laughs> I, I won't give you all my personal opinions on this but I do believe that a lot of people a lot of Americans have taken the opportunity on this day to entertain fear in their lives they uh, they sell it in the movies they sell it uh, with evil inspired costumes and and um, all of these kinds of things. And I've, I've been, a, I've, I tell people all the time, I've been a Christian all my life. I was born a Christian. I feel like I was born and raised in the church. And so I haven't explored a lot of the, the world outside of the church to know everything that's happening out there in the world. But I do know that the enemy would love for you to be fearful. Would love for you to be fearful. Because fear is one of the greatest opponents of faith faith is how God makes us righteous. He told, he told Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham believed in God and God counted that faith as righteousness. So uh, if you want to just do a little bit of uh, weird math there, uh, fear is the enemy of righteousness. And the Bible also tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And I tell our students this all the time, but this is something I harp on. They probably get tired of me saying it, but I don't think you should entertain yourself with scary movies or uh, that kind of thing. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And if God hasn't given it to us, then it kind of makes me wonder who did, right? So we want to be blessed with the gifts of God. Amen? Amen? All right. Making sure. Making sure. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to read uh, towards the end. We're going to start in verse 35 and just read through the rest of that chapter there. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I do want to say this, I apologize. If you have the Bible app on your phone, the New Version Bible app, you can pull that up. And at the bottom right-hand corner of that Bible app, there's a button that says More. You can click on that button. Well, it's another list of buttons that says Events. Click on that. Uh, and you can find all the scripture reference, all of the uh, notes and that kind of thing for that this morning. Right there in your Bible app, you can save it to your phone and go back to the... I tell my students all the time, "Hey, listen! Whenever we're talking about the Bible, don't just believe what I have to say about it, but get in the Word of God for yourself and see if what I'm saying is true." I don't ever want anyone to just think that uh, I'm just trying to indoctrinate someone with something that I believe, but I want you to see that it's actually the Word of God. And so, uh, the Bible is a wonderful tool to have on your phone because so it makes study really easy. Mark chapter four, starting in verse thirty-five, says this: As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat. Some will say breaking in. And it began to fill with water. Jesus, doing like Jesus does sometimes, was asleep at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus woke up. I love that. When Jesus woke up, sometimes it, in the mornings, it's a little bit hard for me once my alarm goes off. Sometimes it's hard for me to get motivation to crawl out of bed, and I'll lay in my bed sometimes for five to ten minutes after I wake up. Because it's sometimes that bed is really comfortable like our house really cool at night my bed is so warm it feels great I love because I can kind of see Jesus like when he woke up when he got around to it (laughs) he rebuked the wind and said to the waves silence be still suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm then he asked them talking to the disciples why are you afraid do you still have no faith Disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Even the wind and waves. Let me tell you what, church, we have a God that the wind and the waves obey. This isn't just some imaginary, make believe, uh, sticks and stones figured God. This is the God of all creation, and all creation bows down at his command. I love, y'all, we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God but we also have a really real enemy, very real, very real, and one thing he wants to do, and this is point number one, fear will hand you a bucket, fear will hand you a bucket. I don't know, uh, I, I appreciate what Pastor Billy said, it made my heart feel happy whenever he said I, I paint word pictures, because that's how I understand, that's how I learn, and uh, <laughs> So I I like to imagine, whenever I read through the Bible, I like to just picture in my mind what could have been happening, what the reactions would have been like, what the mood was like, uh, what the uh, surroundings were like. And this is a really easy story to, to get that picture because Jesus, he'd been preaching all day. He'd been preaching and teaching to multitudes of people I mean, they were pressing in on them so much so that they were right at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, which let me give you a little bit of a a geographical lesson here. The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. It's not a sea. Uh, In Jewish culture, anything, any large body of water, they considered it a sea. But by our English terms, we would consider it a lake. That's why, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, it may say lake, some may say sea. Uh, But they're right on the edge of this lake called the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is preaching and he's in a boat in the water preaching to people uh, along the shoreline there because they were just crowding in so close that he couldn't, you know, speak over them so that everyone could hear. And so what he does is he, I love it, he's so wise. He gets in a boat and he preaches probably for two reasons, probably because he needed a little bit of space and also because that water is going to reflect the noise. It's going to, uh, it's, it's like this big, round wall right here it kind of pushes the noise back towards the people and so he's in this boat preaching he preaches all day he's he's, he's done mighty miracles awesome things and then he gets done preaching they dismiss the multitudes there and he tells the he tells the disciples let's go to the other side of the lake and we see if you read on into mark chapter five you'll see the reasons why he wanted to go to that side he made a really quick trip did some cool things came back but this is what happened, they're, they're on this lake, and this lake is actually on two sides. On the east side, it's surrounded by large mountains, and on the west side, uh, it's surrounded by hills that have these um, really narrow gorges going through the hills. And this particular part of Israel is very susceptible to high winds. And whenever these winds come and they go through those narrow channels, it, it uh, like, have you ever got a water hose out there watering the flowers or something, and, you, know, you put your finger on the end of the water hose and it shoots it out further. It, it, it makes the water more uh, pressurized, more intense coming out of the water hose. That's what these gorges do to the wind. It takes that water and it funnels it down straight to the sea, to the water. And whenever that wind hits that water, it causes large waves. Uh, we've, we've seen this story. Maybe you've seen uh, videos of it. uh um, online or, or through a DVD or something, you see the, the, the hail and the rain and the, the, uh, the dark clouds and all of that. Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us that that's what happened. It tells us there was a windstorm. So we can assume that that's what happened. This wind was going through these gorges, causing large waves to come over this boat. Now, I want to tell you this, though. The disciples, they were professional fishermen. They are professional mariners. They, they were used to this sea. This was their home turf. This was where they fished. Uh, It was a a great place for people from all over the world. It was kind of an intersection to different parts of that world, the known world right there. Um, And so they were used to the sea. It was great for business. It was great for fishing. Uh, And this is where they built their livelihoods. But I want you to notice what happened during this storm. They get a little bit fearful. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, around the water, but uh, captains usually don't get very afraid whenever storms come up because they've weathered a lot of storms in their past. They've seen the forces of nature and they know how to, to maneuver the, the vessel that they are in to help them stay afloat. And I can imagine these men, they're, they're professionals in their field and they are there fighting the wind. The waves are breaking over into their boat. I can imagine someone's grabbing a bucket and they're just paling water and just trying to get it out of the boat as quickly as possible. They are starting to really get worried because the waves are getting bigger, the wind is getting stronger, and there's Jesus asleep, taking a siesta. He's been having a hard, not a hard day, but a long day. Sure, is pretty exhausting. Jesus got tired too. He would take naps. He would get alone by himself and rest. But the disciples, their hearts were gripped with fear. Their hearts were gripped with. And I want you to notice what happened. These disciples that had been hosting Jesus, and they, Jesus had been in their boat. He had been in their homes. Uh, they had been walking with him throughout the towns. And Jesus had been doing mighty miracles. And these same disciples that had seen Jesus do the miraculous that only God can do, now they're in a boat with him, and there's this storm, and Jesus is asleep. And I want you to notice what they say. They say, teacher. Don't you care? Someone say, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? I want you to notice this. They had seen Jesus do miracles that only God can do. I don't think they had doubt that he could help the situation. I think they were wondering whether or not he cared about the situation. Because he's asleep there in the boat and they're doing all the work. I can just see it like this: you know, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I can almost see it just like, well, I guess he's not going to do anything. Let me go wake him up. Hey, teacher, don't you care? Here's a bucket. Why don't you start pilling some water out of this boat? And that's exactly what fear will do. Fear will hand you a bucket and say, why don't you get up and start doing something about your situation? But I love Jesus's response. When he woke up. When. Jesus wasn't threatened by the storm. He wasn't threatened by the elements. He wasn't threatened by the wind or the waves. He didn't allow fear to grip his heart. He wasn't worried about no buckets. He was just trying to get some sleep. The disciples, all they knew is that death was knocking on their door. They were gripped with fear. I don't know about your life. I don't know about what each one of you may be going through at your home or your job. But I know fear is real. And this is what fear will do. It will cause you to do two things it will cause you to look at God and either see God as someone who is incapable of working through the fears in your life or you'll look at God as God do you even care have you ever felt like that before like you've been struggling with something you've been battling with something for so long that you just kind of get to your wits end where it seems like the waves just keep piling in your boat and you're just like God I don't even know if you care I don't know if you're watching. I don't know if, you, I mean, it feels like you're asleep on me right now, Jesus. Do you even care that I'm going to drown? Do you even care that I'm drowning right now? I'm sure if some of us were honest, we'd be able to raise our hand and say, hey, that's where I'm at right now. I, I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like I I'm not sure where God is. I feel like he doesn't care whether I stay afloat or whether I sink." Can I encourage you today? Don't let that fear grip your heart. Don't let that fear. Let me give you some encouragement. Jesus is still in your boat. He's still in your boat. And I know you can look at the waves. You can look at the wind and everything that's going on around you. And, you, and you, that can get you caught up in emotion and, and in overthinking. I'm an overthinker. It can get you caught up in overthinking things. But at the end of the day, we have to remember Jesus is still in the boat. He's still in the boat. And there's something about God. Whenever he's in it, he's not going to let it sink. And it may seem like it's breaking apart and falling apart all around you. Whenever you put your faith and trust in him, you won't be sinking. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. I love this quote. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's kind of confusing, so you're probably going to pay very close attention. Fear is the false forecast that God will prove himself unfaithful. Fear is the false forecast that God will prove himself unfaithful. Can I tell you something? God will never be unfaithful. Even if we are unfaithful, he will still be faithful. But fear will say, hey, listen, God might not come through. He might not show up, so you better grab a bucket and start paling water out if you want to survive. But today I want to tell you this faith is the opposite of fear. We're going to get rid of faith in our lives. We're going to get rid of don't get rid of faith. Don't do that. If we're going to get rid of fear in our lives, we got to learn to have faith. Learn to have faith. Point number two, you defeat fear by silencing it. By silencing it. You see, this storm that the disciples and Jesus were in in this boat, it wasn't just a natural storm. That's not all it was. Now, we, I mean, the wind comes and it causes waves and the, the waves are filling in the boat, like all that. You can look at that and say, that's a, that's a natural storm. But Jesus, I love this, and, and we can see this by how he woke up and addressed it. This wasn't just a natural storm, but the enemy was trying to use this storm to instill fear in the disciples' hearts. And I love that. We can see that because of how Jesus Responded to that, but I got to give you just a little bit of a background here. This this is uh, going to be theological for a moment, uh, but in the Bible, if you're reading in the Bible and you see anything about floods or uh, large waves or raging seas or anything like that, uh, a lot of the time it is uh, symbolic of the enemy's lies. The enemy's lies. Think about it like this. Um, whenever we had a lot of rain a couple of years past, I used to work at Price Hardware whenever I was in high school, and we had a a very large rain one day, and where Price Hardware sits it's kind of on a, on a lower end of the geographical area that it's sitting on. Um, so the river that's running right behind Price Hardware, it filled up, overflowed its the banks, and then overflowed Price Hardware, uh, got all up into the parking lot, and uh, we spent Weeks trying to clean it all up, and, and um, using insurance to, you know, go through there and you know reimburse uh, the prices for all of the damages that the flood had done. But think about it, floods are water where water should not be. Now rivers are great. The Bible tells us that a lot of wonderful things about rivers, and rivers can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit moving. Can be symbolic of a, a lot of wonderful things, life, uh, but floods are where you take something that's life-giving and it overflows it exceeds where it should be and it causes damage think about it like this the word of god is more like a river the lies of the enemy are like the flood it's a, the excessive words the words that aren't true it's a lie but it will exceed the boundaries where it should be and it will cause damage to the habitat around the river right there i want you to just think about it like that for just a moment so whenever the disciples are in the boat and the waves are coming over into the boat, water is coming from where it should be and overflowing into where it should not be. Let me draw the correlation for you here. That's like the enemy's lies. Notice how the enemy will use the word of God a lot of times to try to lie to you. We see it whenever Jesus was in the wilderness, and the, and Satan was tempting Jesus with all these things. Jesus, well, you know, Bob says you can do anything. Turn these stones into bread. And and Jesus comes back at them. That's what the enemy will do. He will take something good and he will pervert it and try to make you believe it. But if you want to defeat fear, you have to silence it. You have to silence it. I love this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 15. It says, uh, This is very poetic says, then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, that flowed from his mouth, that right there is very simple, now the book of Revelation it's a a very prophetic book but it's also symbolic of things that have already happened and in this case if you read through uh, Revelation chapter 12 you'll see there's a lot of similarity between Revelation chapter 12 and the birth of Jesus and the events that took place right after Jesus was born. Uh, it says that in the Revelation 5 that the dragon was waiting there uh, for the woman to give birth so that the, he could devour the son, and uh, then uh, before the, he could devour the son, the son was taken away, and we see uh, in the Bible King Herod, uh, once he hears of Jesus, he, he sends out, you know, he's, he's trying to get him, trying to, trying to figure out where he is, what does he do? The wise men come to him, and they say, hey, where's this new king that's, that's been born, and King Herod says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. So they tell him, and what does King Herod do? What does he do? He lies to them. Hey, hey, why don't you guys go find him? All these old books over here, they tell us that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Y'all go find him. Whenever you find him, come back and tell me where he is so that I too can go and worship him. Someone say, that's a bald-faced lie. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. And we see in Revelation 12, that, that correlation there, that symbolism there, the dragon wanted to kill the, the son. And so we see here, it says that the woman was, uh, was went off into the wilderness. What happened after Jesus was born and uh, Mary and Joseph were alerted by an angel that Herod wanted to kill them? What did they do? They fled into the wilderness. They fled. They 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 ran away like refugees running for their lives. And I love this because it says that The way that the enemy wanted to kill the son was through lies. Can I tell you what? That's a strategy for your life too. Let me give you a, let me fill you in on a secret. Satan has no real authority over your life. For the spirit-filled believer, Satan has no authority, no power over you in your life. Say it one more time. He has no power over you in your life. So what will he do? He will try to take something and And get you to believe a lie. That fear that's been gripping your heart, let me tell you today, that's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy. He wants to drown you in fear and lie. But I love Jesus. I love his reaction. When he got up, (laughs) he went. The Bible says he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Silence, be still. Now, this word rebuke, whenever it says he rebuked the waves, that's the same word in the other gospels, uh, the other books in the gospel uh, that explain whenever Jesus rebuked a demonic spirit, it's that same word. Whenever he rebuked the wind, it was the same word that they use whenever they say he rebuked the demonic spirits. I love that. And that word, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to tax with fraud or to tax with uh, fault. In other words, the wind was causing the waves to come up in the boat. Jesus looks at the wind and says, this is your fault. This is your fault. He rebukes it like he did the demonic spirits, which also means to forbid. So as he speaks to the wind, he forbids them from blowing. I love that. That is so cool. I love that. But then he says to the waves, silence, silence. Be still. Notice this. He rebuked the wind, but he told the waves to be silent. And I love this. This is very symbolic too. This would have been very symbolic for the disciples that were in the boat, because they were they were used to they were accustomed of of that symbolism of floods and and uh, waves uh, representing the enemy's lies. And so whenever he looks at the waves, he tells them to be silent. I love that church, because the devil will not be able to influence your life if he's not able to speak, because that's the only weapon he has against you. That's the only weapon he has against you. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. I want you to notice Adam and Eve in the garden. What did the enemy try to do? Tried to lie to them. What about Moses at the burning bush? What did he say? Moses like, God, I can't do this, I, I don't speak well. Who am I to do this? He, he was listening to the lies that the enemy was trying to place in his life. What about Gideon? Whenever God was wanting him to rise up to be a mighty warrior, he said, God, I'm, I'm a nobody. In fact, I come from a long line of nobodies. We're just a bunch of nobodies. won't amount to anything. Someone say, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Look at Elijah as he runs into the wilderness running for his life. He tells God, he says, God, why don't you go ahead and take my life because I'm as good as dead right now. Some will say fear is a liar. And I don't know if any of these things are resonating with anybody, but my prayer today is that you won't believe the lies of the enemy, but that you will hold on to the truth of God and God's word. Amen. Amen. Fear will cause you to be focused on the wrong word. The wrong word. (laughs) We've got a good word but fear will take your mind off of that, will focus your eyes, focus your heart on the wrong word. Fear will make you think less of yourself. It'll make you think less of God. That's the enemy strategy. Listen, if you're here in this place and you're listening, God is giving you everything you need to defeat enemy right here today. I don't know if anybody follows baseball. I, I love baseball, and uh, the Houston Astros are not my team. The Texas Rangers are. Uh, but the Texas Rangers amounted to nothing this year and the Houston Astros are going to the World Series. But a little over a week ago, the Houston Astros were playing the Tampa Bay Rays in the divisional series of the playoffs. And uh, it was, uh, I believe, game five they were playing. And there was a pitcher that that played for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was pitching the ball. I don't know if you're familiar with baseball. I don't know how simple I need to be. But he was pitching the ball to the Astros' batters. The Astros' batters are pretty good. They've got a lot of skill, a lot of talent this year. They're looking really sharp. I, I imagine they'll probably win the World Series this year. But what happened during this game as they're facing this pitcher, getting ready to bat, is they started hitting balls left and right, just base hit after base hit after base hit. They were hitting some home runs. They, they were doing really good hitting the ball. They were seeing the ball well. That's what uh, some of the baseball will say. That those batters were seeing the ball well. And at the end of the game, some of the, the broadcasters, they're, they're commentating on the whole game, and they were saying this. They're saying, uh, I believe that the Astros were being tipped to the Rays pitcher, or the, they were being tipped to the ball. And what that means is that the Astros knew what was going to be thrown before the pitcher threw it. Now, there are some ways that you can cheat and try to figure out what the pitcher is going to throw. But sometimes the pitcher will do what's called tipping the ball to you. In other words, uh, there's, if you want to boil it down really simplistically, there's a fastball and there's an off-speed pitch. Fastballs, they go fast and straight. Off-speed pitches, they can have all kinds of movement and, and curve in the air before the ball gets to you uh, so that whenever you swing, uh, you swing. And hopefully, if you're the pitcher, you can hope that the batter strikes and misses and ends up striking out. But what happens is they're saying that the pitcher was tipping the balls to the Astros batters unintentionally. And the way that that could have been was that uh, if the pitcher was going to throw the ball as he stands on the pitcher's mound, he, he might have been having his glove, he might have held it too low if he was going to pitch an off-speed pitch, just subconsciously not thinking about it, have his glove low, and then as he winds uh, up for the pitch and throws the ball, the batter knows, oh, okay, he was holding his glove low, and they, they look at all kinds of film and study all this before the players ever come in uh, to face one another, and so they we're looking at all this past film, and they're like, oh, hey, I see something he does. He holds his glove low whenever he's about to pitch an off-speed pitch, and if he's going to pitch a fastball, he will typically hold it in closer to his chest as he winds up. That's called tipping the pitch. Sometimes pitchers will do that, and they don't even realize they're doing it, but the batters They see the pitcher before he throws the ball and already have an idea of what to look for. Okay, this is a fastball. It's going to come in fast. I better swing fast. Or okay, it's going to be an off-speed pitch. I better look for some movement. It might be on the outside of the plate. And they kind of had this idea of what's going to happen so that whenever the ball comes, they're like, oh, yep, that's exactly what I was looking for. And they can do something with it. I love this because a lot of people say, oh, that's cheating. Well, it's not cheating. It's just that you knew your opponent's strategy. You saw what he did. You, you noticed his quirks. You saw what was going to happen. And so you had an idea in your mind of what was going to happen. Can I tell you something? The enemy has already showed his hand to us. We already know his strategy. We already know his quirks. We already know what he's going to throw at us. He's going to throw a bunch of lies to you. But here's the thing. You've got to have faith in Jesus that even whenever the waves come crashing in over the boat, you say, hey, listen, I know this is the enemy's strategy. I can see it. I notice it. But I've got Jesus in the boat. I don't have to worry about it. Amen. Amen. Whenever Jesus got up, he silenced the waves, told them to be still. And I love those those words right there, silence, be still. It's, It's like if you put a muzzle on a dog. The dog can't bark. It's forced to be silent. And that's that's what this Greek word means in the Bible. Whenever Jesus said silence, be still, it was like putting a muzzle over something. It didn't. It no longer had the ability to speak. And I want to encourage you today. If you've been, if there if fear has been gripping your heart, ask God. God, please silence my fear. God, silence my fear. Because He has the power to forcefully make the enemy. That's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. And I love this, because Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. He was taking a nap. Even though the disciples were worried, Jesus, it, it didn't affect him. It didn't faze him one day. But I want you to notice what happens as soon as he gets done silencing to the storm. He turns to his disciples, and he says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? your neighbor say, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Church, I love this, because Jesus is like, listen, you don't have a reason to be afraid. Tell me one good reason why you should be afraid. And I can imagine the would being like, What more reason do you want Jesus? But let me tell you what, church, the storms don't affect the heart or the mind of Jesus. He's not affected by the storms you're going through. He's not worried. He doesn't stay up all night thinking about it. He's not concerned with what's going on. But listen, he is concerned about your heart because then he turns to the disciples and he says, where is your faith? Why do you still have no faith? He wasn't worried about the storms. He said, why are you afraid about the storms? But he was concerned with their heart. And that spoke right directly to the disciples because you remember what they said? Teacher, do you not care that we're going to drown? Do you not care, are you not concerned about us? And Jesus is like, oh, I'm concerned. I'm not concerned about the storm that you may be finding yourself in, but I am concerned about your heart. I am concerned about your heart. And whenever the waves and the wind are all around us, a lot of times it's really hard to look at those things and not be like, oh man, I better grab a bucket because this is going to get really bad. But instead of doing that church, sometimes, you just need to put down the bucket. Just go rest with Jesus in the back of the boat. Amen. I feel like I learn more and more about the Bible every time I read it. I really hope like I do. <laughs> I like go anyway. But, for so long, I've always believed that if you're going to have faith, you've got to put works to it. You know, that the Bible tells us that you know, faith without works is dead. And so I've always just thought in my mind that, oh, if I'm not pailing the water out of the boat, then I'm not having faith in God. But let me tell you what, there's, there's two kinds of faith. There's a faith of works, and there's a faith of rest. And in this moment, Jesus was looking for the faith of rest. That faith that's unshakable whenever storms are are filling your boat, whenever storms are filling your life with fear and with the lies of the enemy, God's response to that is this, do you still trust me? Do you still believe me? And I want to tell you why that's important, because point number three, this is the last one. Your promise is on the other side. Your promise is on the other side. Worship team would come join me this morning. The promise is on the other side. Will you rest in Jesus? Let me tell you, I'm sorry, there's a lot of moving around. I know some of them are going to get food prepared for just a moment, the worship team is coming don't be distracted by that. They're not protesting at all. But the promise is is on the other side. I want you to notice what Jesus said at the very beginning of this story. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. At the very beginning, the God of all creation is standing right there in their midst, and he's saying, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Church, I want you to notice the promise had already been given. Today, disciples, we're getting in this boat, you, myself, all of us together, and we are going to the other side of the lake. So the disciples, they're in the boat, they're going and asking Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus is like, why are you afraid? I've already given the promise. We're going to the other side. Sometimes there's a time to bail water out of a boat. Sometimes you just need to rest in confidence, knowing that no matter what the storm may throw at you, I am God and I'm still in it with you. I want to encourage you today. If you feel like you're in that place where Jesus is unconcerned with your life, if you feel like he doesn't care, or if you feel like God, man, God's gone asleep on me, <laughs> I want to encourage you today. It may feel that way, but the promise has already been spoken. And he's still in your boat. He's still in your boat. See, Jonah, the Old Testament, he found himself in the middle of the storm because of his disobedience. But I want you to notice this. The disciples found themselves in the middle of the storm because of their obedience. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They were being obedient. They got, them in, got all the boat prepared. They got the oars and they started rowing to the other side. They were being obedient and they still found themselves in the middle of the storm. Can I encourage you today? You might say, God, I don't know what I've done to deserve this. Let me tell you what sometimes life just happens sometimes hard times just come it's just we live in a broken world we live in a sinful fallen world sometimes those things happen and you know what sometimes god may give the promise knowing that on the way we're going to go through this storm i want to encourage you he's still not concerned about the storm what he wants to know is will you have faith in me Whenever your life comes to the point of breaking, will you still trust in me? He's saying this, you don't have any reason to fear. You don't have any reason to fear. Why are you still afraid Jesus? Trust in me. I know that's a lot easier said than done. And I'm a very practical person. I like to know, okay, Pastor Sam, what you're saying is I shouldn't fear. I should just trust in Jesus. That sounds great, but how do I do that? What does that look like for me? Can I give you a challenge this week? Whenever that that feeling, whenever that anxiety, whenever that depression tries to come back this week and tell you a bunch of lies, can I give you something really practical that you can do? This is what you do in that moment. Take this, put it away. Get alone by yourself and worship. Worship. Listen, the disciples, they went to Jesus. They said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to it? Jesus, get up and, and do something. Can I tell you, that was the wrong response to have. Jesus rebukes them for it. That was the wrong response to have. For us, whenever fear comes creeping up into our lives, you know what we should do? We should still run to Jesus, but instead of saying, Jesus, why aren't you doing anything? We say, Jesus, you are good are good, and I, I know right now, God, that, that my life seems chaotic, and and it's and it really feels like you're asleep on me. And can I tell you this? The heart of Jesus is never asleep. The, the, the body of Jesus might have been asleep for a moment in this story, but the heart of Jesus never goes to sleep. And instead of going and, and, and rebuking Jesus, God, where have you been? Why haven't you done anything? I can't see you moving. I can't see you working, just like the song we read earlier. Even when I don't see it, he's still working. Even when I don't feel it, he's still working. He never stops working. You just got to learn to have faith to go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, I can't see you working, but I'll praise you anyway. I will worship you anyway. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says this. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, someone say true worshipers. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Can I encourage you, if you're going to worship God, you need to do it the right way. There's a a right way to worship God, and there's a wrong way to worship God. We're going to worship God and see Him moving in our lives. We're going to have to learn to worship in spirit, which means you're going to have to let some of these physical things, physical fears and anxieties go, and worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want you to know what's the opposite of a lie if we're gonna worship god we gotta worship him in truth that means that fear that means that lie can't be a part of the equation worship him in spirit and in truth it says this the father is looking for those who will worship him that way for god is spirit so those who worship him must worship his spirit and in truth would you stand to your feet
0: no longer slaves Coming I mean, no longer slaves. I want to encourage you, storms
2: in life they're not always determined by what you've done wrong. Sometimes storms may just happen, but even in the middle of the storms, we can still learn to rest with the God of truth. Amen.
0: You're going to see you run right.
2: chapter 93 verse 3 through 4 says this the floods have lifted up O Lord the floods have lifted up their voice the floods lift up their waves notice this the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters than the mighty waves of the sea I want to encourage you today. It doesn't matter what lies have been spoken over your life. It doesn't matter what fears have tried to grip your heart. We've got a God that is mightier than it all. And all he has to do is say one word. And silence will be all around you. Peace. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you what. He wants to silence the fears in your life. He wants to Here's our response. Whenever we find ourselves in that situation, go to the feet of Jesus. Rest at the feet of Jesus. Lay out your fears before him. Say, God, this is what I've been fearful over. This is what I've been dreading. This is what has been sticking out in my mind. God, I, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. I don't know if my kids are going to turn to you. I don't know uh, if my job is going to pan out. I don't know if I'm going to be able to provide. I don't know if the, my, I'm going to get my healing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Lay it out before God and say, God, there's all my fears. Do what you do. I'm going to just rest right here with you. I'm going to just rest at your feet. Soak up your presence and enjoy it. Even though we might be getting a little bit wet taking this nap, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. He can silence the fears in your life, and he wants to. Amen. Jesus, we thank you. We Thank you for your word. And we thank you for your promise. God, I thank you today that you have given each and every single one of these believers in this house today a wonderful, wonderful promise that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you will never abandon us, but that you will always be here with us, God. And I pray that you would uh, help us to expose the lies of the enemy so that we, we can see his strategy and understand how he's coming at us, so that we can learn to rest in you, learn to live in your presence, and just be with you, God. I pray that the, the fear of, of, of trying to make things work out on our own, God, that it would just be silenced in our lives, and that we would learn as your children, as your people, to just lean back on you, lean back on you and just be in your presence. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. If God's been good to you today, then give someone a hug, tell them you love them. Wow, we are a blessed people, church. We are a blessed people. Yes, thank you, brother. Uh, We are going to go ahead and pray over the food before we head down there and enjoy it. By the way, uh, if if maybe you came in at a point you didn't hear, we've got chicken spaghetti and rolls and the fixings for everybody down in the Life Center right now. So we're just going to go ahead and pray over it. Go down there and enjoy fellowship with one another. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. And Lord, I thank you. For the food that has been prepared for us today, God, and for all those who have prepared it, I pray that you would bless it to our bodies, Lord, and we thank you for this wonderful time of fellowship and communion.